the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It tells a story about what we really believe. So what story are you telling? The way you act, not in this 90 minutes, the way you act on your daily life, that's telling the story about what you believe about God and His Word. What's your story? Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. And yet scripture teaches that we stand for truth and we love in such a way with truth that we risk losing the friendship because we love the friend. I want you to understand something scripturally. If the gospel is being lived out in me, it's necessarily true that I can't love you and simultaneously let you harm yourself without me caring about it. Just think about how silly some of how we act is. We allow people to walk through what we know are harmful life decisions. And yet out of what we call is love, we stop warning them about the danger of their direction. You know that our daughter was born blind. She does amazing. She's an incredible young lady. But there are dangers she does not see. And as a father, how foolish and how evil it would be of me if I let her walk into danger without warning her of that danger in her life. I can't let you hurt yourself and not do anything about it and pretend to love you. So I would just remind you, church, we're not called to coexist. We're called to serve and to love. That's hard, isn't it? So how do we do this? He says in verse 10, we love one another with brotherly affection. We outdo one another in showing honor. And what does that mean? That means this all-in love has to go deeper than just surface. It, it can't just be, great, I'm doing great. How are you, great? No, I, I have to go to a deeper level. And that's another way we struggle. How many of you... I'm sure you haven't said this, but how many of you have heard somebody say, well, I love them in the Lord, but I sure don't like them. Come on, raise your hands. Come on, tell the truth now. You're in church. Sure you have. Yeah, that's not okay. (laughs) And that's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, you've got to love in such a way that you also demonstrate your like for this person. That's what brotherly affection is. So here he adds words. It's not just agape love. He brings in that word Philadelphia, phileo, where we get Philadelphia from, the brotherly love. And he brings in this storge love, which means I like you. I'm, I'm attracted to you in this way. So what do you do when you're in that situation? Can I just make it real practical for you? 
Maybe you need to start praying for some people in your life rather than praying about them. Oh, we pray about people. Lord, do something with old so-and-so. They're about to drive me crazy. We need to start praying for them. I try to be vulnerable as a pastor, so I just want to give you a demonstration in generality. I, I over the last really few years, have, have walked through a situation where, man, it's just tough relationally. And, and through something I heard actually Dr. Charles Stanley say more than 30 years ago, I began to pray this, Lord, change me. That's, that's where you should start. Lord, change anything in me that needs to be changed to make this relationship right. And then I prayed, or change them. <laughs> Lord, change them. Help them to, you know, if there's something in them, change them. And, and then I begin to pray, or move them, or move me. And when you begin to lay it out that way for the Lord, you're, you're then approaching that relationship seriously. And God's not a God of confusion. He answers prayer. And I'm going to just tell you, he's answered that. And he's answered that prayer in a good way, in a way that honors him. So pray for those people. Paul gives us another way, though. He says, outdo them by showing honor. So you got that challenging relationship in in your close circle or or maybe among church friends, and it just drains you all the time. What if you just make it your mission to out-honor them? Now, this is not natural. It is not. You know why it's not natural? Because we're honor hogs. (laughs) We want all the honor. Just look on social media is crazy. I mean, it doesn't matter age or stage of life. Social media is like a drug that's caused us to think everybody wants to see a picture of me. So let me give them their daily photo. (laughs) We're honor hogs. We want everybody to say, look at me, look at me, look at me. And yet all of our scriptural journey says it's not about us. And so what if you begin to say, I'm going to live in such a way to try to demonstrate with my attitudes and actions that I'm going to out-honor you. So how do we do this? Well, I want to pause and take you all the way back to Romans 12.1 because if you're tracking with me, this has gotten kind of heavy quick because you're thinking like I am. It's tough. I mean, all we're talking about is loving genuinely, and I, I, I struggle to do that. How do we do it? It's that phrase from Romans 12, 1, by the mercies of God. Let's say that together. By the mercies of God. By the fact that God loves us, that he's gracious to us, that he doesn't give us that punishment that we deserve. But by his mercy, we have now the ability to be loving to others. So, oh, church, I just challenge you, love without fakery, love without hypocrisy, love in a genuine way. And let me use this as an opportunity to say I sure love our church. I love that I can look out and know some of the things that are going on in your life and and hearing how God's working in your life and how he's changing you. I, I love watching little Cassie Adams grow up into a young lady and now be one of the best vocalists I've ever heard and sing and worship the Lord on our stage and now to see her grandparents move here and be able to worship with her every Sunday. I, I love to have that connection 
I love that my friend Jason uh, and I hang out sometime, and we get to talk about life's challenges and the, the good things and the bad things, but I, I get to watch that for really for a long time. I think about 20 years, he's used something that's a passion in his life, and he, he plays drums in our church on a regular basis. I, I love hanging out, not recognizing we're not perfect. In fact, this, this isn't a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners like me. But I love hanging out with folks that are on the journey and trying to make it for God's glory. So does it get hard? Yeah. You know what I've learned? Lifetime in church, a lot of good people give up. That's why we got this next verse, verse 11. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, slothful, that's one of those words that kind of sounds like what it is. I mean, let's just say that together. Say slothful. Slothful. I mean, you can't say slothful in a happy way, can you? I mean, you know what slothful means? It's just lazy. Have you ever seen a sloth? I mean, sloths are cute. But you know what they do? Nothing. They're just hanging out. Like a lot of Christians. I've been around church all my life, and, and I think maybe of all the things I read in this passage that Christ followers struggle with is they get slothful and zeal. And here's what happens. Somewhere, if you're a follower of Christ, I don't care if you're 82 and you're in the room, if you were a follower of Christ, somewhere in that journey, you were excited, you were zealous about Jesus. But you've gotten slothful in your zeal. And some of you, you were so excited about God and you would come to worship and you'd raise your hand and you would sing loud and, and then you would look around and maybe the mature Christians, they're not doing that. They're just standing here like this. And so you thought, maybe I should do that. And so you just started standing there like this. And then when you were excited, you, you were going up to pastors and, and you were saying, man, any way I can serve, it doesn't matter if it's behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. I just want to make a difference for Jesus. And you were showing up and you were serving. And, and then you begin to look around and you say, there's a lot of people that come all the time and never do anything. Maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. And you got slothful. And Paul's saying, if, if, if the gospel is on you, you, you don't have that liberty You don't get to be lazy in your passion. You don't get to replace passion for perseverance. Well, I'm just going to hang in there. Hopefully, I'll make it to the end, and then Lord Jesus will give me a back cabin in in heaven or something. No. It's easy to become slothful in zeal. So how do you combat this? Well, it's right there in the passage. I'm just going to say the words that Paul said. You serve the Lord. You just start giving back. And then he even tells us ways to do that. In verse 12 and 13, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. So here's a few pointers for you. You ready? You don't want to be slothful? Number one, choose joy. Just wake up every day and say, I'm not going to let my circumstances determine how I live my life. I'm going to choose to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Practice patience. That's a tough one. You want some practice? Just get out on 275 during rush hour. That'll challenge you. 
But just understand that God wants you to grow in those moments of difficulty. And then pray and pray and pray. Prayer makes a difference because it changes you as much as it changes anything else. And then be generous. Be generous. It's no mistake that in God's word, when it talks about depicting how love looks and stimulating love in our life, that it regularly talks about how we give back to others. Because when God uses us to meet the needs of another person, we become a living picture of the gospel to them. So, I got good news and bad news. The good news is we're halfway done. And, um, and it's good news that the last half is going to be really quick. But the bad news is that's the easy part. Because that's all talking about people that we naturally hang out with. Remember, he's talking to the church. So he's talking to the church at Rome, and he's like, you guys, come on. Stop faking it at church. Be genuine in your love. Like each other. Do nice things for each other. Hang out together. Be passionate about the Lord together. I mean, that should be easy. So remember this. When we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, there's a noticeable difference in how we love others. Thanks to the gospel, we love others as Jesus has loved us. All right, but what about those that are outright against us? What about just those people that are, uh, they're just hard. You don't know it, Pastor. They're just hard to be around. Raise your hand if there's somebody in your world that's just hard to be. Now, don't point to anybody in the room, but raise your hand if there's somebody that's hard to be around. Yeah, we've all got those people, somebody you work with, somebody maybe in your family, but you feel like it's just a constant battle. We're supposed to love them, but they're more like our enemies. I'm not going to reread those verses, but remember how they began? Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse them. Then he gives us this long description about how we act toward those we're really tempted to be fighting with. Let me just give you some take home for this. First, choose the bigger and the better way. Choose to be the person that blesses, not the person that curses. Being the person that curses, that's the easy way out. Anybody can be the car that gets frustrated in traffic, and so when somebody cuts off you, what do you do? You speed around them, then you get in front of them, and then you push on the brakes. Anybody can do that. Anybody can give hand signals. Anybody can be a hothead. What what if you choose to be the positive person in the midst of a difficult situation? Number two, practice sympathy and empathy. So Paul says this. He says, weep with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. You know what I've learned? (laughs) It's easy for me to weep with those who mourn. It really is. I feel sympathy for them. Man, when other people are rejoicing, that kind of gets tough. I mean, if your car is breaking down all the time and you see your neighbor pulling into the the garage with a brand new one, it's hard to say, woohoo, congratulations. If your marriage is struggling and you even come to church and it seems like this couple is just so in love and everything's great, it's hard for you to Find that joy. 
that Scripture says when we are loving through the gospel, when we're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're able to sympathize in ways that may not make sense. And there's an example in the Bible. If I were to ask you a biblical, this is a biblical test, wake up. If I were to ask you a biblical question right now, I want to see how many of you know the answer. Quote for me the shortest verse in the New Testament. You guys are scholars. I mean, that's amazing. Why did Jesus cry? Ah. Did, he, did he cry because Lazarus was dead? I, I don't think so. He knew Lazarus was going to die. He even waited. And by this time, by the way, Lazarus stank. I think Jesus was crying because Mary and Martha were crying. And they're his friends. And he was filling with them this compassion for their friend. He knew Lazarus was coming back. He's about to tell him to get those grave clothes off and come forth. But he still was sad with his friends. Third, learn to harmonize. So we empathize, but we also harmonize. So he said, live at harmony with people. Um, I love when our praise team is singing, and maybe you might hear Andrew leading out in the song, but then Franz is over there coming in with kind of one of those deeper tones, and maybe Cassie or Joy's over here, and they're adding maybe some soprano or some alto into it, and, and you're hearing. Or, hey, do y'all ever fall into those video traps on social media? I mean, you minding your business, just going through your feed, and all of a sudden, there's a video there. And so you watch it, and it finishes, and it's replaced by another video. And the next thing you know, it's three hours later, and you've just watched videos of cats doing funny tricks. Sorry, I'll talk about that with my counselor. But, But I love, sometimes I'll see that video of like a southern gospel singer, and they'll all do that four point harmony and four part harmony. It's so good. He's saying, learn to live in such a way that your life harmonizes with those around you. Now, when I grew up, my dad, the pastor, back then the, the pastors would sit on the stage in the thrones. Y'all remember those? Like They looked like thrones, the throne chairs, big old chairs, bigger than everybody else. Everybody else had to sit on a pew. The preacher got a throne. And so um, my dad would sit up there, and my dad was tone deaf, but I could, I'm not. And so I knew when I became a pastor, I could not sit on the stage because we would have special music. And in the special music, someone would sing a solo. And let me just tell you, I don't know who auditioned everybody that sang solos, but they didn't do the best job because sometimes it wouldn't be harmonizing. The person singing would be off pitch. And I can't help it. I love Jesus and I love you, but my face just makes faces when I hear those off pitches. And so I couldn't sit on the stage, but some of us are living our life and and we're living off pitch. We're not harmonizing. We're not working together to build the relationship God wants us to build. And we wonder why when we walk in the room, everybody's like, ooh, they're making a face because you're off pitch. They know that you're causing disunity, not harmony. Number four, stay humble. This is simple. He just says, be wise and not in your own eyes. Got it? Over and over again in Scripture. Number five, be aggressive about making peace. 
If you're a Christ follower, you're to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. There's a difference. A peacekeeper may run away from conflict. A peacemaker says, I'm going to do everything within me. Anything that's in me, if it's possible, I'm going to bring peace. And some of you, you're wondering why your life's a mess, but you're not doing everything within you to be at peace with all the people in your circle. It may not be possible, and it may not even be healthy to have a relationship with some of the people in your circle, but you have to do everything you can to be at peace with those folks. Number six, stay out of the judge's seat. You've heard that verse, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Yeah, let him do his job. We've already learned that truth, right? There's a God, it's not you. Stay in your lane. And and by the way, here's what I've learned about defense. I don't always practice it, but I know this to be true. Two things are better than me defending myself. Number one, let others speak highly of you. Let others come to your defense. Number two, let God come to your defense. When you take up your defense, you've left nothing for him to do. Number seven, remember your need for the gospel. That's kind of what this whole passage is about. Because we get these 30 exhortations from Scripture, and we think, all right, I'm throwing up the white flag. I can't do this. And that's what some of you have done. But all of this should just be a reminder to us, this is why we need Jesus. It's why we need a Savior. That's what we believe, right? We can't do this on our own. We're sinners. We needed Jesus to do something that we don't have the ability to do. And yet he does it. And so as a result of that, the way we act, the way we live our lives, it tells a story about what we really believe. So what story are you telling? The way you act Not in this 90 minutes. The way you act on your daily life, that's telling the story about what you believe about God and his word. What's your story? All right. I want to leave you with something before we wrap this up. At the beginning of verse 19, there's a word that I want you to focus on. It's like Paul pauses in the letter and remember who he's talking to. It would be like in... Me pausing in this sermon and say, all right, Max, Susan. He says this. He says, beloved. But I want you to think about that word beloved, and I want you to divide it into two words. Be loved. Because I I really believe when it comes to a long list of things like this that God wants us to do, how we're supposed to look when we're covered with the gospel. He, he wants us to remember that we're loved before we do anything. God's love of you is not based on what you do. It's based on who he is. But in light of that love, man, I want to give him my best. So when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, there should be a noticeable difference in how we love others. And thanks to the gospel, we love others as Jesus has loved us. So, you know, this is a message really kind of only has two applications. One point, 
two applications. The first is to ask the question, have you experienced the love of God? Has there been that time in your life where you understood the need to ask forgiveness of your sins? Trust what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary and yield control of your life to him. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you experienced the love of God? But secondly, because most of us gathered here would say we've done that. What we need to think about is how are we expressing the love of God? Does our life look like the marks of a Christian? That person infected with the gospel that we read about in the book of Romans? If not, by the mercies of God, let's ask him to do some work, all right? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekday mornings at 9, here on Faith Talk Tampa. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.